Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is in three parts. Uh, Matthew 24, 32-42, Matthew 25, 1-13, and Matthew 25, 31-46. Uh, and I'm reading from the Contemporary English Version. So Matthew 24, 32-42. Learn a lesson from a fig tree. When its branches sprout, and start putting out leaves, you know that summer is near. So when you see all these things happening, you will know that the time has almost come. I can promise you that some of the people of this generation will still be alive when all this happens. The sky and the earth won't last forever, but my words will. No one knows the day or hour. The angels in heaven don't know and the Son himself doesn't know, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man appears, things will be just as they were when Noah lived. People were eating, drinking, and getting married right up to the day that the flood came, and Noah went into the big boat. They didn't know anything was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. That is how it will be when the Son of Man appears. Two men will be in the same field, but only one will be taken. The other will be left. Two women will be together grinding grain, but only one will be taken. The other will be left. So be on your guard. You don't know when the Lord will come. Matthew 25, 1-13 The kingdom of heaven is like what happened one night when ten girls took their oil lamps and went to a wedding to meet the groom. Five of the girls were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but no extra oil. The ones who were wise took along extra oil for their lamps. The groom was late arriving and the girls became drowsy and fell asleep. Then in the middle of the night someone shouted, Here's the groom, come to meet him. When the girls got up and started getting their lamps ready, the foolish ones said to the others, let's have some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. The girls who were wise answered, there's not enough for oil for all of us. Go and buy some for yourselves. While the foolish girls were on their way to get some oil, the groom arrived. The girls who were ready went into the wedding and the doors were closed. Later, the other girls returned and shouted, sir, Sir, open the doors for us. But the groom replied, I don't even know you. So, my disciples, always be ready. You don't know the day or the time when all this will happen. Uh, Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory with all of his angels, he will sit on his royal throne. The people of all nations will be brought before him and he will separate them as shepherds separate their sheep from the, their goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, my father has blessed you. Come and receive the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world was created. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. And when I was naked, you gave me clothes to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. And when I was in jail, 
you visited me. Then the ones who please the Lord will ask, when did we give you something to eat or drink? When did we welcome you as a stranger or give you clothes to wear or visit you while you were sick or in jail? The king will answer, whenever you did it for any of my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you did it for me. Then the king will say to those on his left, get away from me. You are under God's curse. Go into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, but you didn't give me anything to eat. And I was thirsty, but you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, but you didn't welcome me. And I was naked, but you didn't give me any clothes to wear. I was sick and in jail, but you didn't take care of me. Then the people will ask, Lord, when did we fail to help you when you were hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in jail? The king will say to them, whenever you fail to help any of my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you failed to do it for me. Then Jesus said, those people will be punished forever, but the ones who please God will have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Terry. Well, throughout this year, we've been exploring um, the key statements made in the Apostles' Creed. One of the earliest and most widely used statements of faith used by Protestants and Catholics throughout um, history. And just as a reminder, the point of these creed, the point of having a creed, should I say, is, is to declare what it means to be a Christian and to draw a theolog theological boundary around really what is a Christian and what is not a Christian. It's a way of saying, if you don't subscribe to these statements, then you're actually not a Christian. And most importantly, it's a way to remind ourselves of what we believe. And you might say, as you read it out in church, but it feels so robotic and mindless to repeat a set creed or prayer out loud. And I can understand that. But you need to remind yourself that whether you like it or not, every day you are doing re repetitious acts of worship that are often completely mindless. And I don't mean religious Christian worship, but I mean every time you open up your smartphone and scroll through social media, every time you, every day you are evangelized by Amazon and Netflix, you are mindlessly doing an act of repetitive worship using the liturgies of consumerism. So one reason, and we can't help doing that, this is part of living in the world, that we are, are engaged in these alternative liturgies. So one reason we repeat saying out loud the Apostles' Creed is because we are trying to reset our minds and our hearts. Sometimes, you know, with your computer, over time, you'll find your computer can slow down. And the solution is to do uh, what they call a fresh reinstall of the operating system. Because what you've done is over time you've introduced lots of random files that are clogging up the system, that are taking up space and causing your CPU to work overtime when it doesn't need to. And sometimes your CPU can get so confused with all the extra files that it's got to look at that the best thing to do is to reinstall the operating system. So this is the same for you and me repeating the Apostles' Creed, 
repeating other things like the Lord's Prayer and the liturgies we use on a Sunday, the confession, rereading Bible passages that you've read lots of times before. We do this partly because we're trying to keep our hearts and minds freshly focused on God and not distracted by the liturgies of secularism and consumerism. If you look at the slide, you can see all the statements highlighted yellow, how much ground we've covered this year with this series. And we've gone backwards and forwards to this series since uh, March, or maybe even since, yeah, I think it was since March we started it. And mostly we've done this through um, shutdown time. And today you can see the, the statement in orange is where we're, we're up to. The reason why we skipped over it was partly because we were trying to go in order but also because we were trying to stick with the church calendar. So we got to the third day rose again on, on Easter day, but then we jumped to he ascended into heaven on, the, on Ascension day and we jumped to I believe in the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So that's partly why there's a bit of a, a jumping around. And we will finish the series in the next sort of month or so. The series will finish. Well, what the, sta- the statement we believe that, that Jesus, that he... Jesus Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. What do we mean when we say that? It means that Jesus will return to judge all people, you and me and all people who have ever lived, to make an assessment of our lives. And we are told this as both a dire warning, but also as a promise of hope. In the New Testament, judgment is one of the things that happens with the kingdom of, when the kingdom of God comes. John the Baptist warns us in um, Luke 3 verse 9 that all people should repent of their sins and turn to God. And he said that God's judgment is coming on everyone and it's a ludicrous idea to think that you can escape it. He said it like this, The axe is ready at the foot of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. So Jesus' promise to come to judge both the living and the dead is a warning. And it's a promise of hope for those who put their trust in Jesus. See, we've got to remember, God is a loving God. He's a patient God. And he waits for all people to turn to him. He's like a gardener, uh, Jesus says, who gives his fruit tree every opportunity to bear fruit. Even if after many years, the tree still hasn't borne any fruit, he gives it another chance to bear fruit. He keeps waiting before cutting the tree down. But God is a God of justice. The final judgment is about God overthrowing all those who resist him, including all evil spiritual powers and people who oppose him. This judgment will affect all people because all are responsible to God according to the grace that has been granted to them. Our reading from Matthew 24 shows that a key aspect of the judgment will be like the earth, a bit like the earth in the days of Noah, in that this present world will be shaken and destroyed and a new world will replace the present one. And then God will give the administration of his final judgment over to his son. 
when he comes in glory. That day, Paul describes as the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. And on, on this day, each of us will have to give an account of our lives and our sins will be exposed. And the good news is, if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we will be declared righteous. We will be safe with him and we will not receive the punishment that we deserve. But we will receive eternal life and a resurrection body in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, you might be worried as I talk about this, and you might be thinking that you're not sure about your own salvation. You might be concerned that when you stand before God and, and he asks you to give an account of your life, that he will not accept you. And it's actually quite common. Uh, and in different points in history, um, Christians have really struggled more at different times with, with their assurance of their salvation. And perhaps the problem is that you carry the burden of sins that you've committed and shame from the past. And I, I just want to assure you that God loves you. One of the classic moves of the devil is to tell us that God doesn't love us. It's actually, it's a variation on what he, what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't it? You know, um, do you, you know, he said to Adam and Eve, if God really loved you, he would let you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The devil wants to tell us lies. And the truth is a different truth to what the devil tells you. It's that if you put your faith in Jesus and you are concerned about your salvation, then that actually is a real sign that the Holy Spirit is working in you. You are not concerned about your salvation with Jesus Christ if you do not have the Holy Spirit working inside of you. The real concern is if you weren't concerned about your salvation. That would be the real problem. Just remember that your rightness with God is not determined by, by what you have done, but what Jesus has done for you. One writer, Thomas Torrance, puts it this way. He says, It is in Christ, in the body of his Son, that the Father looks upon us and accepts our imperfect obedience as if it were perfect and covers our works, which are defiled by many spots, with the justice of his Son. So the good news of the Christian faith is that when you stand before God, he actually will look at Jesus. So some of you are concerned of your assurance of your faith, and I want to assure you that God loves you. Others of you may actually be concerned for a different reason, and you'll be concerned because you won't like the idea of a, a, a God who judges people. Like you, you, you'll say, well, how can a loving God actually judge people? Isn't that, isn't that a bit harsh? Isn't that um, intolerant? And maybe what you perceive God to be or should be in your mind is that he should be like a relaxed parent who lets their kids do anything they want or, and turns a blind eye when they do the wrong thing. Well, to respond to this question, I simply have to say that God's judgment is actually a key part of him being God. It's a, it's a key part of him being perfect and it's a key part of his perfect love. And also, just think about you and I. Just as you and I have a strong sense of justice, 
the sense of justice that drives us to want to have racial equality and gender equality, the sense of justice that wants you and I to see sexual predators go to jail and be held to account. We have that longing because we are made in God's image and we have the same sense of justice that we have, God has, but God has it perfectly. Our sense of justice is limited. God's sense of justice is perfect. He sees all and is the only one who can make perfectly informed decisions. If God, through Jesus, didn't judge the world, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be righteous. And think about it philosophically. We could conceive then of a more righteous being, and that more righteous being would be God. God has to judge to be God. So our question for this morning is, given that the Bible says that Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead, how do we respond to that piece of information? And using these readings, I've come up with a basic idea, which is that the wise person takes Jesus' offer of salvation seriously now, putting their trust in him and being prepared for his return. So let's have a look at the, the readings that, um, that we, Terry read out for us. The first question you might be wondering is, when? Um, and our first two readings actually address this issue. When will Jesus come to judge the living and the dead? Because it's a pretty serious thing that we're talking about. And in our first reading from Matthew 24, Jesus says that nobody knows when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The idea that the Son of God the idea is that the Son of God in his humanity has intentionally limited himself in his humanity so that not even he has all the knowledge that the Father has. Not even he knows when he will return, only the Father in heaven. Not even the angels, nobody knows. So, and the point is there that people will be caught unaware. Early in the chapter it says that it will be like a lightning strike. It will be unmistakable and sudden. It will be a universal event so that nobody will be able to ignore it. A bit like the flood of Noah, where people were caught unaware. Nobody could escape the flood. Only those such as Noah and his family who had been prepared escaped. Being prepared is a big theme in these parables. It says people will be going about their normal lives, doing their normal boring work, ploughing the field, grinding the mill to modernise it, going to meetings, stopping by the supermarket, washing the dishes, doing your homework, your piano practice, brushing your teeth, and then Jesus will suddenly return. And so in a way, the time of normality is a potential time of spiritual danger. I think about the onslaught of COVID-19. Only in January was our family sitting on a beach 
in South Australia, enjoying our lives. Only in March was our church down at Nearham South having a camp. Can you imagine being on camp in these conditions? And then suddenly the virus started spreading through Australia and we were in lockdown and the whole world went into a panic. It's a bit like that. We don't want to be distracted by our daily routines. So Jesus says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. One of the metaphors we get about understanding Jesus' return is that of a wedding. And it's a, uh, talking about weddings is a really hard thing at this time, in uh, the time of um, coronavirus and social distancing, because um, for those couples who are engaged, and we have two couples in our congregation, Lucy and Luke, and Sam and Julia, who are both engaged, thinking about and trying to plan for their weddings, it's quite difficult to know what to do because you want to have as many people as possible come to your wedding and you're not sure what the social distancing will be like um, when the time comes. I actually have this recurring dream that I am a celebrant at a wedding and an hour before the wedding, I can't find my suit and I'm running around here and there, I'm looking in the cupboards and I just can't find my suit. And for some reason, there are no suits to be found. I, I, I often, in the dream, I'll be running down to the shops and I'll be looking in the shops and there won't be the right suit. And I'll think to myself, I'm going to be late to the wedding that I'm supposed to be the celebrant at. And then I wake up in a sweat. <laughs> this has never actually occurred to me, so you don't need to worry. It's not a, a pattern of my life. It's just a pattern of my dreams. Well, can you imagine what it would be like if you were so disorganized that you missed the wedding? And this is what Jesus says it could be like on the day that he returns to earth. And he basically says, don't be distracted and disorganized with this. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is recorded telling a parable where he says, his return will be like a groom coming to a bride to take her to their new home, followed by a huge wedding feast. Now, in the Jewish culture of first century Palestine, it was a custom that the young, that young unmarried virgins that were friends or relatives of the bride or the groom would have a role in the wedding, usually, usually girls, I think it was, to, um, and they'd have this role to escort the groom in a torchlight procession and a dance to his house. And it was the sort of thing kids looked forward to. You know, it was a great celebration in the village to be part of this. It would be the highlight of your year. But can you imagine if you, as a 12-year-old, after waiting all this time to get to the big day, and you were so disorganized and scrambling to be ready, that you missed the groom when he arrived at the procession, that you didn't have your things prepared. You were a bit like me in my dream. You couldn't find your suit. This is what Jesus says it's a bit like for some people when he returns to judge the living and the dead. He says, it will be like these ten virgins in the wedding, but five of them would be wise and five of them would be foolish. When the bride arrives for the procession, the wise virgins have their torches ready full with oil, but the five foolish virgins, 
virgins have forgotten to top up their oil for the torchlight procession. And they have to run down to the shops to buy some more. The five wise virgins get to go into the procession and enter the reception and enjoy the party. But the five foolish virgins completely missed the procession. And the door was shut at the party and they were locked up. And they yelled out, Lord, Lord, open the door. But the groom says, who are you? I do not know you. So Jesus finished his story by saying, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, how do you keep watch? The way to be watchful is actually to be prepared and ready. It's not to be getting, waking up each morning and looking out to the sky to see if Jesus is coming on a cloud, almost like you're, you're a bit paranoid or something. It's actually to live in a prepared way. Uh, one writer put it this way. He says, Live as though Jesus is coming back today, but plan as though he's coming back in a hundred years. Whatever you think about Jesus' return, you might have a bit of a hard time understanding it or even knowing really what it means, but this is still relevant for you. It's relevant to all of us. It's relevant because as the pandemic reminds us, life is fragile and fleeting. We do not know when the end of our life will come. And what Jesus teaches us here is true for his final return as much as it is true for the end of our lives. We have to be prepared. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says that when we commit our lives to the hope of Jesus' return, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. What we are called to do in response is to keep watch by doing everything we can to maximise our precious time on earth and to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You don't want to put off for later what you could be doing now. When our life is over, or when Jesus returns in glory, whatever comes first, we will either be with him or we will not be with him. And you can have assurance that you will be with him if you genuinely say yes to him. And when he returns, Jesus will say to you, he'll look at you and he'll say, how did you live your life as my disciple? And what will you say? Well, let's return Let's turn to our reading from Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats, because that's a kind of a, a parable where Jesus is asking that question of people. And this parable shows us that we will be held accountable for what we do, and that our life will be measured especially by how we've treated those on the margins, the poor, the sick, the lonely, the imprisoned, in the parable, the humble people, the sheep, did not even realize that when they were serving the poor, they were serving Jesus. And so Jesus says to them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. But the overly confident religious goats in the story did not even consider serving the poor. And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you who are cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this is a bit of a haunting warning, this one, because it shows us that we can go to church, perhaps call ourselves a Christian, but the thing that will really indicate the evidence of our heart's transformation is the way that we treat other people, especially the people on the margins. The Bible is clear that we should care for the people in our church, in our congregation, but also the people in the wider neighborhood as well. God wants us to show care for Christians and non-Christians alike, including those who are emotionally dysfunctional or terrible at relationships and always hurting the ones they love. Even those people, even those people are made in God's image. When we look at any individual, we must see that they are made in God's image and have love and compassion for them. Authentic devotion to Jesus Christ does not come out of religious obligation. We love others because God loves us first. So if you want to know how to keep watch as we wait for Jesus to return to judge the living and the dead, it means to live out your life in full obedience to him. It means firstly that we will keep watch for his return, which means pursuing a life of obedience now because Jesus could return at any time. It means not making excuses or being lazy in our faith. It means pursuing a life of obedience, remembering that our salvation comes from Jesus, not by what we do. And it means demonstrating our love for Jesus by our love for others, especially those on the margins. If you really want to live out the Apostles' Creed, and not just know it intellectually, but live it practically, then live as if Jesus is going to return today and plan as if he's coming back in 100 years.